It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Uh, today I want to talk about something a little bit different. Um, you know, one of the toughest things in the aquarium hobby is to face the possibility of losing fishes. Nobody likes that. And when you think about it, the idea of keeping live tropical fishes in an aquarium is, is a pretty incredible thing just to begin with. What we take on isn't necessarily difficult in many instances. Uh, the techniques, you know, uh, have been known and shared within the hobby for generations. However, the, re the really awesome thing is that we're able to obtain and maintain these organisms in the first place, right? I mean, when you add into the equation that we're completely responsible for creating essentially the entire environment in which they reside, it becomes even more incredible, right? What we do is pretty special as aquarium hobbyists. However, uh, unlike keeping many other animals as you know, pets like dogs, cats, hamsters, rabbits, stuff like that, we as aquarists have the unique ability to create representationals, functional and aesthetic, of the natural habitats from which they come. We can do all sorts of environmental manipulations and we can embrace all sorts of evolutions within their aquariums to represent aspects of their natural habitats. And this ability brings with it a lot of opportunity to innovate as well as the assumption of some risk. Yeah, the process of creating, optimizing, and managing a specialized aquarium habitat is subject to risk, whether we expect it or not. Risk. The risk that we might not have you know, acclimated our fishes correctly to the new environment that we've created. Risk that our management of the environmental conditions may not be as controlled, consistent, or appropriate for the long-term benefit uh, of our fishes as possible. This is not unique to the botanical style aquarium, of course. It's just something that we run into with all types of aquariums and fish keeping endeavors from the most basic goldfish bowl. Ugh, I can't believe I mentioned a goldfish bowl, but from the most basic goldfish bowl to the most sophisticated reef aquarium system. Risk just permeates the hobby. It's something that it's almost never discussed, but it's at the forefront of almost everything we do. Risk like abounds. We take risks every single time we purchase fish. And the responsibility to manage the risk, to mitigate any potential bad outcomes, lies squarely on our shoulders as hobbyists. A classic easy example for you would be like when you purchase that new fish. We immediately have to choose whether or not we're going to quarantine the fish before placing it into our community aquarium. If we don't, we run the risk of introducing illness to our other healthy fishes. You know, that's, that's a given. We know this. And when we do quarantine, which is great... We still take, you know, we still take some risks. We risk the possibility that the fish might not make it through, that it might not eat, that it might uh, uh, have a disease, which is the very reason you quarantine in the first place, that may manage self, manifest itself and you may not be able to, you know, to cure and it might kill the fish in the quarantine system. Risk. Now, when we first started Tannin Aquatics, the idea of utilizing, you know, seed pods, bark, branches, leaves, all that kind of stuff in aquariums to manipulate the environmental conditions wasn't completely unknown. Hobbyists have been doing it for generations. I've said this a billion times here, to some extent. However, when we embarked on our mission to curate, test, and ultimately, you know, ultimately introduce 
uh, more, um, I don't know what the word is, civilized or a way of approaching this and to introduce new and different botanical materials into the hobby, we knew it was going to be a risk. Uh, Some might have proven to be toxic to fishes. Some were. Some might have been collected from polluted environments that had noxious chemicals. Uh, And some might have been intended for other purposes, Uh, you know, sold to us by unscrupulous vendors who have them treated with uh, lacquers or paint thinners or other things. Uh, and industrial chemicals and cleaners. We, we found this out the hard way a few times too. We killed fishes in our test tanks in the process of checking this stuff. It's not fun. It's not something that we enjoy doing. It's horrible to lose innocent animals. But part of the challenge that we accepted when we intended to become leaders in this, you know, this new area of the hobby, releasing untested materials to fellow fish keepers and having them kill your fish was simply not an option. We had to assume the risk of testing ourselves. Vetting of suppliers was and continues to be crucial, as is vetting the supplies. Good quality source material doesn't guarantee success, but it does mitigate some of the risk. When we developed techniques for the preparation of botanicals for aquarium use, it was to help mitigate some of the risks that are inherent when you place natural terrestrial materials into a closed aquatic environment. Yet, even with the development of, you know, best practices and recommended approaches and techniques for the safely utilizing botanicals in our aquariums, we knew there was an even bigger, more ominous risk out there. Human nature. Yes, when I started playing with botanicals in my aquariums almost, I don't know, two decades ago now, I made a fair number of mistakes. Sometimes they cost the lives of my fishes. And killing the fishes sucks. It does. It's something that we always want to avoid whenever possible. No one likes that. Some mistakes were caused by my lack of familiarity with using various materials. Most were caused by not understanding fully the impact of adding botanical materials to closed aquatic ecosystems. All were mitigated by taking the time to learn from them and to honestly assess the good, the bad, and the practical aspects of utilizing them in my aquariums. And that meant to develop best practices to help mitigate or eliminate issues as much as possible, even though the practices may not be the easiest, most convenient, or expedient way to proceed. I knew that there would be people who might kill their fishes by adding lots of botanicals to their established systems without reading and following the instructions concerning, you know, preparation, cadence, and what to expect. I knew there would be people who would criticize the idea, who'd edit the processes or, you know, the recommended best practices. They'd talk negatively about the approach and generally scoff and downplay what they didn't know, understand, or do. That's kind of human nature. Whenever you give people something a bit different to play with, they want to go from zero to a hundred in like one day. And I know some of these ideas, uh, that some of these ideas people would take uh, and, and, and then they go out on social media and attempt to trash the whole idea after they fail. That happens all the time in the aquarium hobby. That d- this, despite our instructions or information and our pleas to follow the guidelines that we suggest, people do that all the time. After more than six years running TAN, and I've pretty much identified the two most common concerns that we have for customers associated with utilizing botanicals in their aquariums. Curiously, our two biggest concerns revolve around our own human impatience and mindset, not the botanical materials themselves. The first is preparation. We're often asked why we don't feel that you can, without exception, just give any of your botanicals a quick rinse and toss them into your tank. After all, this is what happens in nature, right? Well, shit, yeah. (laughs) But remember, in most cases, there's a significant dilution factor caused by larger water volumes, currents, you know, biologically rich active substrates, stuff that you encounter in the natural aquatic systems. 
Even in smaller bodies of water in the wild, you have very mature nutrient export systems and biological equilibriums established over long periods of time, which can handle the influx and the export of organic materials. However, even in nature, things can go awry, and you will occasionally see bodies of water fouled by large sudden influxes of materials, often leaves, grass clippings, stuff like that, sometimes after a rain or other weather events. And the result is usually polluted water, large algal blooms, and a pretty nasty smell, not to mention a lot of dead fish. In the aquarium, of course, you, can, you have a closed system with typically much smaller volumes of water, limited import of fresh water, limited filtration, i.e. export capacity, and in many cases, a less robust ecological microcosm to handle a large influx of nutrients quickly. So you know where this is going. You know where I'm going with this. Fresh botanical materials, even relatively clean ones, are often still dirty from collection and storage, etc. They have dust, airborne pollutants, soil or silt, and depending on where they were collected. They even have cobwebs, bird droppings, and dead insects, which is, you know, yuck, right? <laughs> Natural materials accumulate stuff. They're not sterile. They're not made in some high-tech clean room in a factory in Switzerland, right? So, you know, just giving botanicals a quick rinse before tossing them in your tank is simply not good procedure, in my opinion. Even for stuff you collect from your own backyard. It's more risk to take on. And we're talking about mitigating risk, right? At the very least, a prolonged, and by that I mean 30 to 60 minute, steep in boiling hot water will serve to sterilize them to a certain extent. Follow it with a rinse to remove any lingering dirt or other materials trapped in the surfaces of your botanicals. Now, I don't recommend this process simply because I want to be a pain in the ass. I recommend it because it's a responsible practice that, although seemingly overkill in some people's minds, increases the odds for a better outcome. It reduces some of the risk. Look, the crew up in the cockpit on your flight from you know LA to New York know every system of that Boeing 737 MAX 9 that they fly. But guess what? They still complete the pre-flight checklist each and every time they hop in the plane. Because it can save lives. Why should we be any different about taking the time to prepare botanicals? I know it sounds harsh. However, if you skip the step and you kill your fishes, it's on you, period. Why would you skip this other than just simply being flat out impatient, maybe even a little bit arrogant? Could you get away with not doing this? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Many people do. People brag about it. But for how long? When will it catch up with you? <laughs> Maybe never. I know I'll get at least one email or comment from a hobbyist who absolutely doesn't do any of this recommended stuff and has a beautiful, healthy tank with no problems and they've been doing it for years. Good. Good for you. I'm still going to recommend that, like I do, that you embrace a preparation process for every botanical item that you add to your aquariums. Boiling and steeping also serves a secondary yet equally important purpose. It helps soften and even break down the external tissues of the botanical, allowing it to leach out any remaining subsurface pollutants, sugars, or other undesirable organics to the greatest extent possible. And finally, it allows them to better absorb water, which makes them sink more easily when you place them in the aquarium, which a lot of us like. Yes, it's an extra step. Yes, it takes time. However, like all good things in nature and aquariums, taking the time to go the extra mile is never a bad thing. And really, I'm trying to see what the possible benefit you'd derive by skipping the preparation process would be. Oh, let me help you. There is none. <laughs> none. There's simply no advantage to rushing stuff in this hobby. Like all the things we do in our aquariums, the preparation of botanical materials that we add to them is a process, and nature sets the pace. The fact that we may recommend 30 minutes or more of boiling is not a concern to nature. It may take an hour or more to fully saturate your Sterculia pods or whatever before they sink. So be it. Relax. Savor the process. 
enjoy every aspect of the experience. And, and besides, don't you love that earthy scent that botanicals, you know, exude when you're preparing them? It's kind of cool, right? It's a, it's a whole experience. It's something that we get used to. Enjoy those little aspects. You know what the shittiest thing is? Even if you do all this prep, there's still the risk that you'll kill your fishes. Yep. <laughs> Damn, I'm never going to make a great salesman, right? Because, But I'm being honest with you. And, and then people ask me, how much to use? Well, that's the million-dollar question, too. Who knows? Even that is a guess and decidedly unscientific at best. It all gets back to the, at least in my opinion, the absurd recommendations that have been proffered by vendors of the leaves over the years saying use X number of leaves, for example, per gallon or liter of water. There's simply far, far too many variables ranging from starting water chemistry to pH alkalinity to the goal that you're trying to achieve and dozens and dozens of others, which can affect the equation and make specific numbers unreliable at best. Sure, in our writing, sometimes I'll tell you I use this many per gallon because that's what I use, but that's based on my situation. Yours may vary. Now, nothing is perfect. Nothing we can tell you is an absolute guarantee of perfect results. You're dealing with natural materials, and the results you'll see are governed by natural processes that we can only impact to a certain extent by preparation before use. But it's a logical, responsible process that you need to embrace for long-term success. It reduces some of the risk. And when it comes to adding your botanicals to, the, you know, to your aquarium, the second sort of tier of this process is to add them to your aquarium slowly. Like, don't add everything all at once, particularly to an established, stable aquarium. We've talked about this a billion times. We'll probably talk about it a billion times before, uh, before I'm, you know, dead and buried here. <laughs> Think of botanicals as bioload, which requires your bacterial, fungal, and microcrustacean population to handle them. Bacteria, in particular, are your first line of defense. If you add a large quantity of any organic materials to an established system, you'll simply overwhelm the existing beneficial bacteria population in the aquarium, which will likely result in a massive increase in ammonia, nitrite, and organic pollutants. At the very least, it'll leave your oxygen levels depleted and the fishes gasping at the surface as the bacteria population struggles to catch up with the large influx of materials that you added. This is not some sort of esoteric concept, right? I mean, we don't add 25 3-inch danios to, at once to an established, stable 10-gallon aquarium and not expect some sort of negative environmental consequence, right? So why should it be any different? Why would adding a bunch of leaves, wood, or you know, botanical materials be any different? It, it wouldn't. It just wouldn't. And I think that's important to note. So please, please add botanicals to your established aquarium gradually while observing your fish's reactions and testing the water parameters regularly during and after the process. Take measured steps. There's no rush. There shouldn't be. It's interesting how the process of selecting, preparing, and adding botanical materials to our aquariums has evolved over time since we've been in business even. Initially, as I discussed previously, it was about trying to discover what materials weren't toxic in some way. Then it was about you know, trying to figure out ways to prepare them and make sure that they don't pollute the aquarium. And finally, it's been about taking the time to add them in a responsible, measured manner so that you get good results. I think our biggest struggle in working with botanicals is a mental one that we've imposed upon ourselves over generations of aquarium keeping, that need to control our own natural desire to get stuff moving quickly, to hit that done thing fast. And the reality, as I've talked about hundreds of times here and elsewhere, is that there really is no finished in an aquarium, right? And that the botanical style aquarium is about evolution. This type of system embraces continuous change and requires us to understand the ephemeral nature of botanicals when they're immersed in water. I know I may be a bit blunt when it comes to these types of topics, preparation, practices, and patience, but they're critical concepts for us to wrap our heads around 
and to really embrace in order to be successful with this stuff. And they're absolutely tied to the idea of reducing risk to the greatest possible extent. All caveats and warnings aside, the art of uh, an evolving science of utilizing natural botanical materials for the purposes of enriching and influencing the environment of the aquarium is an exciting one. It's promising a lot of benefits and breakthroughs that we may not have even thought about yet. It's okay to experiment if we're willing to accept the additional risk. We stress these points over and over and over because I get questions every day asking if they, you know, from hobbyists asking if they really need to prepare their botanicals, uh, if this is really safe in their tank, you know, basic questions, stuff that you would think that people would have found and read, stuff that you would think, you know, we know by now. It's indicative to me of a larger sort of a problem in the aquarium hobby. You're saying, what is that larger problem? Well, think about this. In a world where people are supposedly not able to retain more than, you know, what, 280 characters or whatever of information at one time, and where there's apparently a hack for pretty much everything, I, I wonder if we've simply lost that ability to absorb information on things that are not considered, you know, relevant to our immediate goal. I say this not in a sarcastic manner, but in a thoughtful, measured one. I'm really baffled by hobbyists who want to try something new and simply do next to no research or self-education prior to trying it. And note to self, asking Scott on Instagram if you need to prepare your pods is not research. Like, what the fuck? When you read some of the posts on Facebook or other sites where a hobbyist asks a question, which makes it obvious they failed to grasp even the most fundamental aspects of whatever their area of interest is in the aquarium hobby, yet they jumped headfirst into this new thing, it just makes you wonder. I mean, if the immediate goal is to have, you know, a great looking tank with botanicals in our case, it seems to me that some hobbyists apparently don't want to even take the time to learn the groundwork that it takes to get there and to sustain the system on a long-term basis, let alone what it's about or how it functions. I suppose that it's far more interesting and apparently more gratifying immediately for some hobbyists to learn about what gadgets or products, you know, can get us where we want to go and what fishes are available to complete the product project really quickly. This is a bit of a problem. It demonstrates a fundamental impatience, an unwillingness to learn, and a lack of desire to assume some responsibility or risk. The desire to pass the responsibility on to someone or something or some company or whatever when, you know, when shit hits the fan. And the reality is that it's all really on us. When it comes to using botanicals, or for that matter, embarking on any aquarium-related specialty, it's really important to contemplate them from the standpoint of reducing and accepting some risk. We as aquarium hobbyists are 100% responsible for the lives of the animals under our care. If we don't like the idea of accepting the responsibility, then we should consider another hobby. Simple as that. I can talk about the best practices in our hobby until my face turns green. I can point out the benefits of making mental shifts and being patient just endlessly. I don't mind. However, it's up to each one of us to accept or reject these ideas and to accept the outcomes, positive or negative, of our choices about how we embrace or reject this stuff. And based on what I'm seeing and hearing, a lot of hobbyists simply don't feel that this stuff applies to them. Okay, I'm sounding very cynical. I get it. Perhaps I am in some, days, in some cases. But the evidence is out there in abundance, and it's kind of discouraging at times. Look, I'm not trying to be, you know, the self-appointed guardian of the hobby. and I'm not calling us out. I'm simply asking us to look at this stuff realistically, however. To question our habits. To accept responsibility for our actions and the risks that we take. No one has a right to tell anyone that what they're doing is not the right way, but we do have to instill upon the newbie the importance of understanding the basics of our craft, whatever that craft may be. 
I'm super proud that we've consistently elevated realistic discussions about unpopular topics related to our little hobby sector. Yeah, we literally have blog and podcast titles like how to avoid screwing up your tank and killing all of your fishes with botanicals or, you know, there will be decomposition or celebrating the slimy stuff, stuff like that. If we're worried about risk, we need to take as many steps as possible to understand it, to mitigate it. Some steps are tedious. They're unglamorous. They're time consuming. They're just not very fun. However, they're all steps that we need to you know, take to create better outcomes and to help advance the state of the art of the aquarium hobby for the benefit of us all. Risk is part of the hobby. How we accept it and take it on is also part of the hobby. It doesn't have to be a dark cloud hanging over everything that we do. Rather, it should be a motivator, an opportunity to improve, a means to learn and to grow. Keep doing that. Stay responsible. Stay curious. Stay engaged. Stay observant. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.